Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. That song is, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. If he's sweeter to you today than he was before, say amen to that. I just think it's wonderful to serve the Lord. Tonight we're going to be talking from, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 as we continue our, our study in Mark. Jesus, our example. And today we're going to talk about the parable of the sower. Interesting, it doesn't matter where you go, it doesn't matter what you're involved in. If you go to a movie theater, you're going to have some people come out of that movie theater saying, wow, that was a great movie. Others are going to come out and say, oh man, that was the worst movie I ever saw in my life. I took my grandchildren to see the Mario Brothers movie. This was very interesting to me. Uh, we went there to see the Mario Brothers movies, and we sat there, and the whole thing was going on the whole time, like for an hour and a half of just crazy, one stupid, one wonderful thing after another thing. And we left there, and uh, I said, well, how'd you like it, kids? Oh, it was great. Can we watch it again? I said, yeah, with your mother uh, some other time down the road, because I, just, I thought it was the dumbest thing I ever saw. Uh, my kids said, oh, Dad, it was great. The kids that grew up playing Mario Kart and doing that, they thought that was great. Now, I play Mario Kart, and I'm pretty good at Mario Kart. I still thought the movie was stupid. What I'm saying is this, that it doesn't matter where you go. Some people are going to like what they see, and some people are not going to like what they see. That's true in church as well. You go to church, some people are going to sit in church and say, when is this thing going to be over with? I walked back in the back, and Kathy was in the back. Before I even started preaching, she was yawning. I said, don't do that until after I start preaching. And and uh, she's already ready to go to sleep, and so I'm, I'm, I'm glad Jay's next to her. He can jab, jab her a little bit, uh, but the, it, some, you, you go someplace, and somebody will come out and say, hey, man, that was a fantastic, fantastic message. Other people will say, wow, wow, when, oh, I'm so glad that's over. Uh, some people will go to a Trump rally and say yay. Others will go <laughs> and not be happy at all. Some people will go to a Biden uh, rally, and no, they don't. So uh, um, they're... they're uh, you may have thought that was a wrong thing to say, but anyway, the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter what you're involved in. Some people will accept the message, and some people will reject the message, and that is absolutely true about the gospel. Jesus had been preaching in Galilee. Jesus had been preaching the Word of God for some time when we come to Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 3, we saw this a few weeks ago, in Mark chapter 3, the, the Pharisees uh, came to him and said, when they watched him cast out demons, they said, he's doing that in the name of Beelzebub. And they attributed the work of God to Satan. And God said, Jesus said, you can blaspheme me, and you can blaspheme, you can speak evil of a lot of things, but when you attribute the work that you know 
is from God to Satan, you've committed the unpardonable sin. And from that point on, Jesus refuses to speak to them except in parables. And, and when we come to this chapter, Paul, uh, Jesus begins to speak in parables exclusively, and he tells this very first parable. So let's read it together. In, in uh, Mark chapter 4, it says, And he began again to teach by the seaside. So he's left the synagogue where the rulers of the Jews would meet together. He's no longer going to go there, the, the synagogue there in Capernaum. He leaves there because they have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and they have sinned a sin that is unpardonable. He's walking away from them. He goes to the seashore, and now he's going to speak to those who follow him, and multitudes follow him. The Bible says, and he began again to teach by the seaside, and there gathered unto him great multitudes, so that he entered into a ship, and he sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. So he gets in this boat, goes out from, a little bit out from, from the shore, and the multitude collects around the shore, and he begins to speak to them. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them uh, and said unto them his do- in his doctrine hearken behold there went out a sower to sow now i believe that he gives this illustration first because it just is going to point out what has taken place thus far in his ministry thus far in his ministry he has gone out and sown the seed And there have been some that have rejected and some that have received. Look what it says. And it came to pass, as he he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. That is, it got in on the, well, we'll get into Jesus' explanation of this. And when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Others fell on good ground and did yield fruit and sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve, ask him of the parable. Like, like, why are you talking in parables? That's the whole idea. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. There's some things that God wants you to know, but others aren't allowed to hear. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. Wow, did Jesus really say that? 
Jesus said, listen, I'm speaking in parables so that you can understand and so that they'll be confused. I want you to have it clear, but I don't want them to have it clear because if it got real clear to them, they might get converted. It was over for them. Man, Jesus said that? That's exactly what Jesus said. And he said unto them, know ye not the, this parable? How then will you know all parables? If you don't understand this, this is the simplest of all parables. If you don't understand this, how are you going to understand any of the other parables I'm going to tell you? So Jesus says this is the simplest parable there is. And then he explains it. The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown but when they have heard, Satan, our enemy, cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So Satan's involved in this thing. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. It's an, uh, this is an emotional thing. Man, they are excited. Wow, this is great. They receive it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves. And so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution come. Uh, or, I'm sorry, I've lost my place, Ar ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choketh, chokes the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Well, there was some fruit, but something's happened, and now this group isn't bearing fruit anymore. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some and hundred. Father, as we examine this passage of Scripture, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you taught it. And I pray, Father, you'll help me to communicate it to your people uh, as effectively as you communicated it to your people in your time. God, I just pray that we will see how important it is that we sow the seed and we not get discouraged when some don't receive it. I pray, Father, you'll encourage us tonight, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, the greatest sower of all times. Jesus, God in human flesh. Jesus with the pure word of God. Jesus, perfectly holy, just, and good. Jesus, who's never done a thing wrong in his life, goes and he plants seed. He sows seed. This perfect human being. And yet, the Bible says there were those who were there and just deliberately and outwardly and forcibly reject him and say that what he is doing is totally and completely of Satan. They totally reject the message of the gospel. Sometimes people will come to me and say, you know, I've tried to tell people about Christ, but I, I just, man, I, I feel rejected. I, I must not know what to say. I must not have it right. I need to get it down better. I, 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 I must be doing something wrong because when I tell people about Jesus, they just reject it. 
I want you to want to remind you tonight, and I hope you'll get this from this passage of Scripture, Jesus is describing himself here. He's not just describing himself, he's describing any sower. But, he just, but specifically, this is in reference, in the context of this passage, Jesus is talking about what's just happened to him. He's been out preaching the word and telling people how to get saved, and telling people about the kingdom, and they have flat out rejected the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He had the power of Almighty God, Mario, and his, he, he was God. He had it. And yet they rejected him. Don't get upset when people reject the truth. In Psalm chapter 2, David said, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The people raise up against the Lord and his anointed. Listen, we need to understand that the message that we are delivering is against this world. We deliver a message that says this world is bound to be destroyed and that Jesus is going to come and rule and reign for a thousand years. But even after that, sin has so infected this world that there will be a rebellion and God's going to have to destroy this earth and make a new heaven and a new earth. Well, if we're people who are planted and and attached to this earth, we don't want to hear that message. And if we're people who do not want to submit to the coming king, and people, all these news articles about do we believe in aliens and people from outer space, certainly we do. Uh, Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords. He's extraterrestrial. You need to understand that. And so are the angels. And, and, and uh, we, we need to understand that, we've, that that's just a reality. Now, do you think there's some nuts out there? Yeah, I think there's some nuts out there that, that promote everything that's crazy. But I'm, I'm just telling you this. We are, people say, do you believe that we'll be invaded from another plant, from another world? Uh, yes, yes. I believe that we are the invaders. I believe that, here's, the, here's what the gospel says. The gospel says when you got saved, a spirit from outside of this world came to live inside of you and made you spiritually alive. Now you're another being. You're an extraterrestrial living in a body. You have possessed this body and, and, and God is working through you. And yes, I believe that. And, and we are the invaders. And one of these days we're taking control of this planet. And there's a, there's a God of this world. His name is Satan. And he doesn't like what we're doing. And so he's doing everything he can to get his children. And by the way, there are only two families, uh, two races on this planet, and that's the children of the devil and the children of God. Say amen to that. So th- that's, that's, who, that's who we are. We are the children of God, and we're taking back control of this planet, and Satan doesn't like it, and he's raising his ugly head, and he's fighting against us, and that's the reality. So what are we supposed to do while we're in this world? We're supposed to be planting seed. We're supposed to be sowing seed. And that's what this parable is all about. And Jesus uses his own, he's, he's telling this to his, to his disciples who've seen this taking place. So they would have said, wow, this really relates. We're understanding this. But he wants us to relate it to ourselves. So there's several things that we want to look at. I just about six or seven questions that I want you to answer this, this evening. Number one, why did Jesus use the boat as a pulpit? Why was that necessary? And you go ahead and answer the question, and I'll wait for a hand to go up. I know we're not digging right into the meat of this, but I just thought this was an interesting question. Okay, so people could hear him clearly. Anybody else? Just some thoughts. I've always thought it was weird that Jesus got in a boat and goes floating out in the, out in the lake. I mean, I thought this was a little odd. So anybody else ever have those thoughts? 
Anybody else even think about that? <laughs> I did. I, and so, so I thought I, we'll answer that question. And, and yes, you're right. Here's, there's two things. It separated him from the crowd so the crowd could see him. I mean, there's multitudes. He's left the religious place. He's left the synagogue. And that's not keeping multitudes from following him. They want to hear the truth. People want to hear the truth, at least those who are sensitive and really being truthful themselves. People that are deceptive, they don't want to hear the truth. And they'll do everything they can to shut the truth off. Um, they'll, they'll even, they'll even um, fact check you on Facebook. Uh, they'll do everything they can to shut down the truth. Uh, but, what, but he's out there and people are surrounding him. Crowds of people are coming to see him, so he needed to be separated from the crowd. The boat and the still water would have amplified his voice, like, like Ken said. It, it was an amplification process. So the, when you think of, it says he entered into a ship. This is actually a boat, and it's, it's a boat with a, with a hollowed-out uh, uh, area, so that it would, have, it would have amplified his voice, so would the water would amplify his voice. And then, number three, the land would have most likely receded down into the, in, into the uh, water so that as, as he pulled out, there would be like a natural amphitheater and people could surround him and they could see him and it would be a, a great opportunity for him to speak to the multitudes that, that actually showed up. So the second question is this, why did Jesus speak in parables? And we've talked about that for just a little while. Any answers? Just, this is why I believe Jesus spoke in parables. Yes. Okay, uh, Steve just said that. Steve uh, said it, um, that, that parables were designed for two reasons. One, to conceal, to, if you did, that wasn't a voice from heaven, that was a voice from behind that wall. If you're over here, you couldn't see him, but he's, he's right back in there. And, and, uh, and uh, uh, so they were designed to conceal truth from one group of people and to reveal truth to another, to another pe- group of people, all depending on the sensitivity of the individual that was spoken. The word parable means, it comes from two words, para, which means beside, and balo, means, which means to cast. So a parable is a story cast alongside of a truth to clarify or to confuse the hearer. So there's this truth out there that Jesus wants to teach, but he's going to teach it by telling a story. And he's going to tell the story so that some people will be confused, uh, or again, the, the truth will be concealed, and others will have it clarified, and they'll have uh, a greater understanding of it. So uh, it's like when, I, when my children were very young, I used to, we used to take them and, and we would take them through the grocery store. And, and, and if you've had children, more than one ch- child, uh, even if you've only had one child, you know what it's like sometimes when they get in the grocery store and they want something. I want that candy, I want that candy, I want that, I want, I want. Or if you have two or three of them, they want whatever the other one has that he's not supposed to have in the first place. And then they start uh, ripping at each other. And then you say, then I, this is what I would say. I would say, look at me. If you keep this up, when we get home, I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> and when I said that, they would straighten up. Now, why did I say I'm going to talk to you? Because they knew what talk to you meant. 
There was no confusion. I was concealing it from the other people, what I was going to do to them and the physical pain that they were going to, uh, uh, I was going to inflict on them when they were, when they got home um, as I bent them over. It's amazing what God has done, how God has designed the body just so perfectly, so it bends over perfectly. Knowing that man would sin, God made a position that would help redeem uh, children. And so, um, so I, I, when I said it to them, what I was saying is I was giving them a parable. I was telling them, look, there's something that you, this is going to be very clear to you. Nobody else is going to understand why you're straightening up, but it will be very clear uh, to, 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 to them. Jesus was saying here, Jesus was saying, look, these people, there are some people that don't need the truth. They don't want the truth. And so therefore, it's not going to be available to them. In Isaiah, Isaiah said the same thing in his day. God said, God said in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, he said, I want you to go and tell this people. This is in your notes. Hear ye indeed and understand not, and see you indeed and perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and convert and be healed. In Isaiah's day, Isaiah's, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel had so rebelled against God that God said, I'm fed up with it. If you read the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, he said, I want to hear you coming and pretending you're praying. I don't want to hear about your fast. I don't want to hear about you feasting. I don't want to hear about any of that. You have so walked away from me in all your actions and all your attitudes. You've rejected the truth. And so God says in, to Isaiah that, that Israel has rejected the, the message, so God closed their eyes to the truth. He said, I'm, I'm just, you go and you talk to them but they're, so, so that they will hear, but hearing they're not going to understand. So the message will, they'll, they'll not be able to say the message wasn't there, but they're not going to hear because they've rejected truth. Just as the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the Herodians had in Jesus' day, these had rejected the truth. In Jesus' day, they refused the truth, so he spoke in parables so that they would no longer have a chance to repent. That just absolutely amazes me. People will say, well, he's a loving God, and he will. No, there is a time of opportunity. There's a gate that's open for everyone. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But we can, we, can, we can walk away and reject and reject and reject and get to a point where God says, okay, that's enough. He said it to the nation of Israel once in Isaiah's day. He said it to the nation of Israel in, in Jesus' day. And that is why, and, and of course, when we're talking in terms of eternity and we're talking in terms of God's sovereignty, we're limited in how we can explain this. But that is why Jesus, at this point, stops announcing the kingdom to the Jews and starts talking about the eternal plan, and he begins to open the gospel up to every believer, or to, to, to all nations, and begins to talk about the fact that Gentiles are going to be saved as well. Humanly speaking, he has turned from the nation of Israel, and now is turning to open the gates uh, to all nations 
And be, through their rejection, we now have the opportunity to be saved by grace through faith. But they don't have a chance. They did not. That generation did not have a chance to repent. This is a warning. This indicates that you can reject truth so often that God will allow your eyes to be blinded. Look in your notes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through th- uh, 3 and 4. The Bible says, If our gospel be hid, Paul said, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. These are amazing verses. God says they get to a point where they've rejected so much that God says, okay, you've rejected it. And now you've you've been given over to the God of this world who is allowed to blind your eyes to the truth. Every day in my personal devotions, I pray this. I pray, God, please open the eyes of the American voters and let them vote for righteousness. This isn't a Republican or a Democrat thing. Our our nation today has walked away from God. It's not people say, why is it that we have this whole LGBTQ thing going on? Why is it that that 7% of the population is pushing its agenda on on 93% of the population and everything? I mean, it's in the news and it's in the... the, um, uh, it's in the news, it's in the entertainment field, it's in the public schools, it's everywhere. Why is that, why is that taking place? Well, here's why. It, God's not judging our nation because we abort children or because of this kind of wickedness or because of our immorality or because of, of any of those. Here's why God stops blessing a nation. Because a nation turns its back on God. When we deny the God that created, that established this nation, and when we say that he had nothing to do with the beginning of this nation, and when church people, Christian people, walk away from the truth, if you walk away from the truth, you have no other choice than to believe a lie. And the Bible says that God will turn us over to a reprobate mind. Our nation is reprobate. Why? Not, it's, we're not reprobate because of the things we're doing. We're reprobate because we've walked away from God. When you walk away from truth, you must accept the lie as truth, and then you believe a lie rather than the truth. And then you start promoting the lie and calling the truth a lie. And that's where our culture is as a whole. What we need to do as Christians is we need to be out promoting the truth and proclaiming the truth. And we need to speak the truth in love, realizing that our, that our, our world is our blinded. We need to ask God, I hope you'll do this, ask God every day to open the eyes of the American voters, open their blinded eyes to truth, that they might see the truth, repent of sin, and, and seek righteousness. The disciples and the multitude wanted to hear the truth. So Jesus taught them in parables to clarify his teaching. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians this, though Satan has blinded the minds of those who've, 
who reject the truth. In 1 Corinthians 2, 15, the Bible says, He that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Therefore, if I want to hear the truth, that's why Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, hear. If you can hear this, hear it, and the idea is hear it and apply it and do it, and, and then you have God working through you. And that's where we should be. We should be those who were saying, God, I see the truth. Help me to live the truth, and then you share the truth through me to others. So Jesus, Jesus spoke in parables, and, and you said that so well, Steve, in order to conceal the truth from some and to declare the truth to others. The, the next question is this in verse 13. What did Jesus say about this particular parable? This particular parable. In verse 13, it says, And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable, and how then will you know all parables? Well, the answer to that question is this. Let me just put it up there because it's pretty easy. This would be the easiest parable to understand. If, if you don't understand this parable, you're going to have a hard time with the other parables I'm going to tell. And what is he saying? He's saying there's some people out there didn't hear this. They're not going to hear anything. But if you want to hear the other parables, then understand this parable. Understand the purpose of this parable. Uh, uh, this parable is repeated th in three of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this parable and, and rehearse that Jesus told this parable. So it's the easiest parable to understand. So now let's dig into the parable. First of all, who's the sower? Who's the sower? Now we've already established this. I've already established this, that as we're looking at this, we know that Jesus was a sower. The Lord Jesus was a sower. It says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing, healing every sickness and every de disease among the people. That's what Jesus did. Jesus sowed seed. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what Jesus did. If we're going to be like Jesus, then we're going to be sowers of seed. We need to sow seed. Uh, who was the sower? Number one, Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't say specifically, I am the sower. In another parable, he says the Son of Man is the sower. He refers to himself as the sower. But here, he just says a sower went out and sowed seed. And, and we again see how that applies to him. So Jesus is the sower, but not only that, the disciples were to be sowers. The disciples were, were supposed to be sowers. At the end of Mark, in Mark chapter 16, he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That was something specifically for them. If they said, well, we'll go home and if somebody comes up and talks to us, then that'll be good. They would have been disobedient to God because he said, you go. You go and you be witnesses. That's what I want you to do. So if the 12 did not go, if the 11 did not go, because at this point Judas is dead, if the 11 did not go, then they would have been disobedient. God wanted them to be sowers. Jesus was a sower. The disciples were to, sow, to be sowers. But that's not all. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, he says that you and me are to be sowers. He said this, preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. Rebuke, exhort, uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. The, the, the point is this, that you and me have been given the responsibility to get the word out. 
it is not, it's not like God has plan one and plan two or plan A and plan B and plan C. And if plan A doesn't work, then we'll go to plan B and plan C. That's not it. Plan A is this, and it's the only plan. Jesus has given us his word, and he wants us to go out and give his word to other people. That's our responsibility. Uh, uh, Joel said, and Peter quotes him, he says, uh, he said in, I'm sorry, he said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now listen to, what, listen to these next words. And your sons and your daughters. There's nothing wrong with that. This is, this, is, this is okay for Baptists to understand this. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The word prophesy very simply means to proclaim truth. It's also translated preach. Your sons are going to preach and your daughters are going to preach. Now there's, there's restrictions and there's, there's limitations on where and when daughters and sons should preach, but he says this is what's going to happen. When the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, then this is what's going to happen. You're going to proclaim truth. Your daughters are going to proclaim truth. Your, your, uh, your sons are going to proclaim truth. I know that's true in my life, in my family. My daughters are like the best preachers in our family. They just, they don't preach to men because that's, that's biblically forbidden. But they are, but they are, I mean, I have people tell me all the time, uh, Hope back east, the, 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 the church that she goes to, the, the pastor says, man, your daughter is amazing. The way she tells stories is just absolutely amazing. In fact, they said to my daughter one day, they said, um, you're going, we're going to have you uh, teach your lesson that you taught last week and we want you to teach it to your students in front of the entire church. So this is what they did. They had her, they had her class come up and sit back here, and they had her tell the story to the kids so that they could hear the story. Uh, because all sorts of people, adults like uh, ushers, were, wanted everybody to hear the way she told stories. What's she doing? She's preaching. She's proclaiming the gospel. Uh, there are, they, there, God wants us to preach, but he doesn't want us just to preach in front of, uh, in, in, in an auditorium. He wants us to go place to place and person to person. I, I watch uh, Gina every, every week preach. Uh, she, she goes from here to here to here to here, and she preaches. And when she finds a convert, she brings him to me. And she says, Pastor, this person needs to know about Jesus. And, uh, but that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to proclaim God's truth wherever we go. Now, again, there are limitations. Uh, the, I do not believe biblically that a woman should be a pastor or a deacon in a church. I just, I think it's unscriptural. Uh, but, the, but we all have a responsibility to get the word out. That is something that God has given to us. We are the sowers. He was the sower when he was on this planet, but we are the sowers now, and God wants us to sow the seed. So, very important now. Here's the next question. What do we learn from this parable? Well, there's several just wonderful lessons that I'm going to point out. But, I, but as, you, as we looked at this parable, what are the things that you say, wow, this hit me. When I, when I read this, th- uh, there's some things that, that, are just, that are striking in this passage. What, uh, what is it that stroke, struck you? 
Okay, this is great. She just said, not every convert will come to maturity. What do you mean by that? A lot of people will be saved and they will become frustrated with life or circumstances or enamorment on what they, um, unmet expectations. Okay, so I'm going to repeat this because it's for the people on the, out in the airwaves. So, so, uh, so, so some people are going to have un, unmet expectations. Some people are going to get frustrated with the things of life. So we're going to the third group of people here who, who, um, who got saved and they're bearing fruit. And mount, but now th- things come in and choke them out and, 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 uh, and they don't come to maturity. They don't, they don't become the mature Christians God wants them to be. Yes. I am sorry, I didn't hear you. It's scary for those loved ones that, that don't know Jesus and don't want to know Jesus. That's a very horrible thing, and it, and it is a scary thought, and it's something we need to think about. Somebody asked me, I, in fact, there was a, a, a man in our church, and his dad would not get saved. His dad would not get saved. His dad even came to church when he was 94 years old, sat right, right about where you are, Rob, and, and uh, at the invitation, he came forward. And Pastor Matt took him in the back room, and he would not pray to receive Christ. He went home, and, and, and Dan said to me, it's useless. It's useless. And I said, let's just keep praying for him. Let's pray that God will open his blinded eyes, that God will open his blinded eyes. At 96 years old, Dan went to his home and led him to Christ. Uh, I mean, you just don't stop. What I always pray is, God, please open their blinded eyes. And, and the Bible never tells me to pray that God will open their blinded eyes. But I do it anyway because I know God is merciful. So pray for that. Yes, Doug. Okay, uh, Doug said that a Calvinist would come along here and say that man does not have a free will. That that there there's three quarters of these people are uh, are lost, and there's no there's no hope for them whatsoever. I think the opposite is true. I think the opposite because the sower's planting sowing the seed everywhere. It's just that the seed's not being received. But that's a good point, and you need to understand that if somebody comes along and says, "See, there's only a certain percentage that are going to get saved." No, that's not the point. The point is everybody has an opportunity, and some reject that opportunity, and some don't. Okay, good. Yes. Okay, that's really good. It's not our job to make it grow. We're just to sow the seed. I, I, if I sow the seed, I had a friend named Steve who came to this church for a year. Every Tuesday, we used to have visitation. He went out every year for 52 weeks trying to, 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 to visit people and invite them back to church, and they had already been here. And nobody was ever home for 52 weeks. He came in. He said, "This is the this is the first uh, week of the second year, but nothing ever happens when I go out on Tuesday." He went out that that Tuesday and led the people to the Lord uh, that were there. He just kept sowing seed. You just keep sowing. Uh, when the gro- when it's not growing, you just keep sowing. Okay. Yes.
Okay, so he's saying, he's saying, verse 19 says, all these things come in, all the desires of the world, all these things come in and choke out. You better get focused on the things of God because if you're allowing the things of this world, and it could be good things. There's, there's sometimes we say, well, the, the things of this world are like uh, uh, excessive money. No, you could be choked out by uh, watching the Waltons on TV, uh, if anybody even knows what that is anymore, or, or you can get choked out by, by having some th- other things that are just more important than being with God's people. It's more important than praying. It's more important than spending time with the Lord. It's more important than telling other people about Christ. Everything else, in, all the things of this world, even good things, good things or bad things, can choke out your desire to be with the, in the things of God and, and, and serving God. Good, really good point, yes. Anybody else? Good, I like that. I love it when you, the, we just need to think about those things. Now, let me give you some of the thoughts that I had. Uh, number one, I think that we, it sh- uh, we should learn from this parable that we should be planting seeds. Uh, my mentor used to say, you're never going to grow corn if you don't plant corn. You're not going to bear fruit if you don't plant seed. You need to be planting seeds. Number two, not everyone will get saved. That was pointed out, and I think that's so true. You don't have to feel bad. Um, uh, uh, this is sort of carnal, but when we would knock on a door, when I, early on in knocking on doors, and we've knocked on thousands of doors in Las Vegas, we'd knock on doors, and when somebody would say, uh, and this happens very seldom. But somebody would say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear, I don't want to talk about that. Very, very seldom. We would walk away and in my mind I would think, well, if that guy wants to go to hell, he can go to hell. Uh, and you say, well, that's carnal. That's the way I sort of soothe my mind. But the truth of the matter is you can't force somebody into heaven. You can't shove somebody into heaven. You can't shove the gospel down somebody's throat. All you can do is offer them the gospel. My brother said to me one time, he said, I don't want to ever hear you talk about Jesus or invite me to church ever again. So I stopped talking to him. For two years, I never, I, I, I saw him, but I never talked to him about God, and I never talked about what was going on in church. Then one day he said, David, I went to his house. He said, I have a bone to pick with you. I said, What? He said, why is it you never talk to me about God and you never talk to me about the church anymore? He said, you talk to everybody else. He said, you don't talk to me. I said, Ricky, I said, you told me two years ago you you, you never wanted to hear me talk about Jesus and you never wanted to hear me talk about God or church, ever invite you to church again. Well, you know, I just say things like that. I said, I said, well, look, you said it. He said, well, why wouldn't you talk to me? I said, well, look, Rick, here's the deal. I believe you're saved, and if you're saved, you're living a terrible life, and God's going to chasten you, and so you're going to have hell on earth because you're disobedient to God, and God chastens whom he loves, and you're his child, and he's going to chasten you. But if you're not saved, then you're going to go to hell, and, uh, and you're going to have a miserable eternity, so why should I make your life any miserable here on this earth when you don't want to hear what I've got to say? He said, how in the world could you say that to me? I'm your brother. <laughs> he was like begging me to talk to him about Jesus. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, you, you, not everyone's going to get saved. Not everybody is going to get saved. Number three, I've I got to get going. Uh, 50% of this crowd bore no fruit. Their 50% bear no fruit at all. And, and, and 25% will bear fruit and then become unfruitful. That's very, 
That's, I believe these people are saved when he says they, the thorns are there. I think these are people that bear fruit, but the, the cares of this world choke them out. And they don't get to experience the fruitful life here on this earth. Then 25% will bear fruit. But I want you to see this. This is really, really important. Uh, somebody said this, that the job of the sower is to sow. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. It's very important that you understand that of that 25%, and Matthew pointed this out to me one day several years ago. I said, Matt, we need to get this person more involved and this person more involved and this person more involved. And he said, Dad, he said, you've got to remember the parable of the sower. I said, what's that? He said, not everybody's going to bear 100 fruit, 100%. He said, he said, you need to be, there's some people who are 30 percenters and some people who are 40 percenters and some people who are 100 percenters. And I'm always pushing people to be 100 percenters. And he said, Dad, if, if they're 30 percenters, that's what they're going to be and you need to thank God for 30 percent. I thought, I, I got to think about this. And I went to my office and said, how can he be right and me be wrong? But I, he's right. He's right. Uh, th- the job of the sower is to sow the seed and then Jesus knows that we will not always see fruit. Very, very important. Very important. Now let's finish this up, okay? What keeps people from getting saved or bearing fruit? I think this is really, really important. Uh, I think that we see this. In verse 15, the Bible says Satan. Satan is the one who causes us, who causes uh, others not to be, uh, to get saved. He, He calls God a liar, when he first said, hath God said, in, in Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said. So first he questions God, and then he declares God a liar. He says, you, and she said, we're going to surely die. He says, no, you're, you will not surely die. That's what he did to Eve, and he does the same thing to us. In, eight, in John eight forty four, the Bible says, you are of your father the devil, and when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So we have Satan here in this story, in this parable, we have Satan who's stealing the seed. He's the first enemy. The second one is uh, the world. Uh, the Bible says this in, this in this passage, that they receive the truth because it feels good. They receive the truth because it feels good. So they're emotionally tied in, this second group. They're emotionally tied in. I think it's really important. This is a, this is a diagram that I, I got when I was in school. There are people who put their feelings out there and they say, oh, and that's this group. They feel good. Oh, man, hearing about Jesus makes me feel good and the fact we're going to have eternal life and all that, and they feel real good about it. So here's what they do. They put their faith in their feelings. And they say, wow, that feels good. I'm, I'm going I'm to trust those feelings. And then when the feelings go away, they deny the facts. The facts are the last thing. That's not the way it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be this. You take a look at the facts. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. And so I then take my faith and I put them in those facts I don't feel like I'm really saved. Did you come to Jesus and ask him to save you? Yes, I did. But I don't know if I did it right. Jesus said, here's the facts. 
Jesus said, if anyone comes unto me, I will in no wise cast them out. That's the facts. That's what Jesus said. Paul said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He didn't say you might be. That's the facts. That's the fact of Scripture. And, and so the Bible says you're a child of God, and the Bible says you've been given eternal life, not temporary life. You've got eternal life that's been promised to you by Jesus and promised to you through the Apostle Paul, uh, speaking through the Holy Spirit, that you have eternal life simply by coming to Jesus. Did you come to Jesus? Yes. That's the facts. Now put your faith in those facts, and you know what will happen? You'll start feeling pretty good. But if you say, oh, I just don't feel like, oh, I just don't feel like it, then what's going to happen is you're gonna, your, your train's going to get way off course. Uh, that's what happens to these, the, these second people. They, they lose the battle with their flesh. They have the cares of this world. <sighs> Riches, all of these things, uh, the lust of other things all come in. The flesh. You have the world you have the world, first of all, who pulls you away, and, or you have these people who are putting their faith in their feelings and not in, in the facts of the Word of God. Then you have your flesh that comes along, and they, you lose the battle with the flesh because you put your, your, your faith, or, you, you start, uh, or the cares of the world start engulfing you. The riches of the world start engulfing you. The, the lust of other things engulf you, and you lose the joy of your salvation. The Bible says this, that they become unfruitful. At one time they bore fruit, but now they don't. And you know Christians like that. You know people who were in church every Sunday. They were there, they were there, but now they're not. They used to serve Jesus, but now they're not. Are they lost? No, because they bore fruit. And by their fruit, you know them. But they got engulfed in the cares of this world. So we need to understand that. Now, the last question is this. What is the fruit? What's the fruit? Uh, there's two types of fruit in the Bible that are mentioned. Number one is the fruit of the Spirit. And you see them listed there. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. All of that is produced in our life when... We get saved, and this, we allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives. And then there's the fruit of lost souls. And the reason we call lost souls fruit is because Paul said um, that he wanted to, when he, saved, when he saw people saved, that that was fruit that was accounted to his account. Paul referred to those he saw converted as fruit. And so there's that fruit, and God wants us to bear fruit. And how do we bear fruit? We go out and we plant seed. We plant seed, and we see it come to fruition, and we bear fruit. So the last thing that we want to look at is verse 20. Jesus said, And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as bear, hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. So what is, what is he telling us in this? What does he mean by this? Number one, and we've, we've sort of covered this already, that not all Christians produce the same amount of fruit. So I don't have to get jealous if Ken sees more people saved than I do. I don't have to get upset when somebody else is, is um, doing more in the kingdom than I am because not all Christians produce the same amount of fruit. Not all Christians accomplish the same thing. There will be things that, that 
Matt Marlar, I listen to Matt Marlar teach, and I, and I think, wow. And he tells me about how, or I hear him talk when he's teaching, about how he witnesses to people at work and the things that he does at work to draw attention to the Christ that he serves. And it amazes me that he is so clever in how he does that. And I, and I think, I don't have the opportunity to do that because everybody I work with is saved. Uh, I have to go out and find lost people. But he has a way of asking his lost co-workers questions that pulls them into a conversation with him. And I, every time I hear him talk about that, it just fascinates me that he is able to do that. Not all Christians accomplish the same thing. There are different types of fruit, and that's very important that we understand that. There are different types of fruit, and, and Jesus makes that clear in this parable. And not everyone, everyone, here's the deal. If we're Christians, they will bear fruit. They will bear fruit. I told you about my brother who uh, lived a pretty carnal life. In fact, not a pretty carnal life. He, he lived the most carnal life of anybody that I know uh, that actually claimed Christ. And yet I believe he went to heaven because he, when he got saved, he asked Jesus to save him. He came to Jesus. And, and I think the fruit that I saw in his life was he was the most miserable man on the planet. Uh, and I think that Christians that are not serving the Lord are the most miserable people on the planet. What's the conclusion? Let the sower sow in your life. Number two, be busy sowing in the life of others. Number three, you can pick fruit. You can't pick fruit if you don't plant seeds. Remember that. And remember, you reap what you sow. So go out and sow the seed. That's what God wants us to do. Why do we focus on missionaries? Why do we give, why do we have the missions giving? Why do we do all the things that we do? Uh, all the activities we have? Why do we have all the stuff going on tonight and what's going on with Camp Liberty and all the crazy things that we're doing this summer? Here's why. Because God wants us to be sowers of seed, and everyone should be involved somehow in sowing the seed of the gospel. And the more you get involved in sowing, the more excited you're going to see you're going to be when you see the plants growing. And that's just the way it is. So I hope you'll be involved. Let's pray, Father. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.